Take your game day treats to the next level with the new M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies. Hazelnut Spread is covered in smooth M&M's milk chocolate, delivering a mouthwatering blend of chocolate and hazelnut in every bite-sized piece. Enjoy them on your own or use them to spruce up your favorite desserts. I love these candies so much, I would get between Brody Van Wagenen and Marcus Stroman in order to get some M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies. Go hazelnutty and try the new M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies today. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. If you're surprised to hear my voice on a Monday, so am I. Here's why. It's trade deadline week. So today, here's what we've got planned. We've got a two-segment show today, uh, one with Zach, one with Ben. And we're going to talk about the Marcus Stroman trade and preview what's going to happen in the next 48 hours. And then on Wednesday, the three of us, Ben and Zach and I, will get together again moments after the deadline. And we're going to have a special episode looking back on everything that's happened uh, between now and uh, when we record again on Wednesday. So uh, enjoy this show. Look out for the Wednesday special. And without any further delay, let's go to Zach. So one weird thing about this year's deadline is it's sort of tough to tell who's buying and selling. Uh, so even though we have um, even though we have divided the 30 teams of Major League Baseball into two pots, uh, some teams stretch into both. And one of those is the New York Mets, who made the first trade of this uh, stretch run into the deadline. And here to talk about that trade, or the first big trade, I should say, here to talk about that trade is Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Zach. Hello. So the deal is Marcus Stroman goes from the Toronto Blue Jays to the New York Mets in exchange for minor league pitchers Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. Your thoughts? I think we're in general alignment after reading your piece that this deal doesn't necessarily make sense for the Mets, given the wider context in which the team finds itself. But in a vacuum, if you just knew that Stroman was traded for two pitching prospects at this level, you'd think the Mets actually did some pretty good business because I was pretty surprised at the light return uh, given Stroman's talent, given that he signed for another season after this one, he's not an ace, but he's a good number two pitcher. And that's a, a useful addition for the Mets, who might be trying to contend this year. That's where it kind of gets unclear, depending on what they do next between now and Wednesday's deadline. But just in a vacuum, I thought uh, the price point certainly made sense for them. So there's a, a poll on, I think it was the Amazing Avenue Twitter account, and there is very little that is... Uh, less scientific from that, but I, I think something like four to one of the respondents uh, were in favor of this trade as opposed to opposed. And I think that's something that get, gets lost. Like, you know, we're all looking at this from the standpoint of assuming it's a prelude to a Syndergaard trade. And you just look at it and Stroman's really good. He's not a perfect pitcher, uh, but he's one of the better pitchers available at the deadline. I was certainly wrong. I thought the biggest mistake that was going to be made at the deadline was going to be somebody overpaying for uh, for Stroman or Matt Boyd or Robbie Ray, um, you know, a pitcher who wasn't really at the top of the line, but had team control. And this is not it. Like I when the, the trade returns started leaking, I had to like I just kept waiting for another guy. And I, I went around and, and asked a couple prospect writers I'm friends with them, like, am I just like completely behind the curve on Anthony K because this just seems like nothing. And so I think, you know, it is, I think the Mets have, have earned 
the loss of the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and you know, all the smoke around trading Syndergaard or maybe, you know, or whatever they're going to do with Zach Wheeler or deluding themselves into thinking they're still in the race. Like that is what it is, but that hasn't happened yet. And so right now, as of 11, 11 a.m., make a wish on the East Coast on on Monday, the 29th. I love this trade for the Mets. They got they got a really good pitcher for, you know, one guy. Woods Richardson has a long developmental track ahead of him. Um, K, I don't love. I think I'm low on him. Uh compared to the consensus generally, I just, you know, his, his ceiling is sort of mid rotationy, and there are question marks still around his uh, ability to, um, to compete at higher levels of the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, he struggled in triple a, you know, maybe he'll get there, but like, you can go get that guy, you know, this is not missing out on, on, uh, on the next ace to go get a year and change Marcus Stroman. And so it's only when you get into, like you said, the context, this makes less sense. But, you know, until I, I think everybody who doesn't like this trade is sort of assuming they'll fuck something up, something else up later, but they haven't yet. I think the Mets are in a strange situation in so much as they're not contending this year, but a full teardown doesn't make sense because first of all, they have a really solid core right now. If you trade away, you're good players now, you're probably not going to recoup their value. And second, a lot of their good players are older than you might think. Like Jacob deGrom is already signed to his long-term extension, but he's older. Uh, Jeff McNeil is older for someone with this little service time. Michael Conforto is older. A lot of their young players aren't actually all that young. So even though Stroman, assuming the Mets probably aren't going to make a run at the playoffs this year, even though he's only around for basically one more season until he hits free agency. That's still a season you want to take advantage of because so many of your good players are in their primes. Yeah. I think the, the reaching back and trying to contend in 2020 makes a lot of sense. And if I were Brody Van Wagenen, I'd go cash in on Zach or on, yeah, on Zach Wheeler and try to get somebody who can help. Maybe not even this year. Like you can go get a high minors prospect who can help out in center field as an area of need, for instance, uh, in 2020 and roll it back. Like I was optimistic about this roster and not, you know, for as much as they've struggled this year, not that much has changed about their, their true talent. It would just be, it would just be such a, well, first of all, I don't think that like Van Wagen and after the big game, he talked can tear it down, but also, you know, you look at, they've done so many hard things, right. In terms of building a team, you know, in, in terms of developing Syndergaard, not only him, but DeGrom and Jeff McNeil are two of the best player development stories of the or stories, achievements of of the past, you know, I don't know, I'd say 10 years. Like they're up there with with guys like Jose Altuve for for becoming, you know, really good big league players out of nowhere. And to just sort of pun on all of that just almost seems disrespectful. Um yeah, I, I think they yeah, I think they can compete in the short term. I think they're too far back now. And I, I wonder if Van Wagenen is is sort of talking himself into you know, I invoked the Cole Hamels trade in twenty fifteen as a uh, as an example of this going right, but the Rangers were in such a better position then. Um and they also only ended up with eighty eight wins, and eighty eight wins is not gonna win you the NL East this year. I don't think they're in it this year. I think a lot of how we end up remembering the trade uh, is going to depend on what happens in the next three days. Um, but the trade itself is good. Wholesale approval for me. The Mets are only six games back of the wild card right now. But as you pointed out, we've got so piece, many teams to so many teams to jump. And like, what in exactly. that? Yeah, what in that? 
in the the composition of that team, the way they're they're sort of they've sort of been in a funk recently. Like nothing to that, nothing speaks to them pulling off you know a seventeen and five run like the Giants had. Well, we certainly would have said that about the Giants before they did either. So yeah, who knows? you know, maybe this is just uh, this is gambler's fallacy, but like. You want to bet on that happening again to another team <laughs> this month? I'm, you know, I take the under. So I, you know, I, I think it's a good trade. They came out. I, I think they came out ahead, not only in terms of present talent, but like overall talent, which is which is tough to do in a trade. Um, so we'll see, you know, what this compels them to do. And I think that's a good, unless you have something else to say on this trade. No, I, I just think for maybe Mets fans' perspectives hoping that uh, we don't have as much to say about them on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Who knows? They're, they're, I'll, I'll say this for the Mets. They're never boring. Um, so we're going to talk about the buyers, uh, teams that are uh, shopping for help to get over the top. And, you know, We're not going to touch on every team that's in the playoff hunt, but you know, what's one team that, that really has your attention uh, heading into this trade deadline? Over the last 24 hours, rumors around Edwin Diaz, speaking of the Mets, going to Boston have picked up. And that kind of perplexes me because Boston, according to Fangraphs' midseason ranking, has the worst farm system in baseball without a single top 100 prospect. And their best prospect is a guy named Tristan Cassis, who's a single A infielder, who at least according to what people who know prospects better than I do say is probably unlikely to end up at third base long-term and is going to become a first baseman, not a very good defender. The Mets already have a very good hitting first baseman, and I'm just confused about how Boston would have the pieces to pull off this trade, even if you think that Edwin Diaz's value has dropped a bit since the offseason, given his struggles in the first half. The Mets gave up two very good prospects for him, and they wouldn't be able to recoup anybody close to that value if they ended up trading with Boston. So I know Boston needs relief help, but that seems like uh, shooting a bit too high for what they have to offer in return. I mean, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, Yeah, I I think there's a a fine line between uh, failing to recognize the sunk cost and overreacting to a small sample. Um, You know, I would take the over on Edwin Diaz bouncing back from the year he had. You know, I mentioned in a piece a couple weeks ago that he's just been catastrophically unlucky in terms of timing and home run luck uh, in that that down spell he went on um, sort of to, towards the beginning of the summer. Um, I don't know, like it's worth it. Like if, if Boston wants to try to get him on the cheap, then you know, the worst the Mets can say is no. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I certainly the the Red Sox do need some help in that bullpen, but uh, I wonder if, you know, he's Diaz, I still believe is really good. I just don't know if that's like the perfect fit when they can get a short term bandaid uh, in any, you know, any one of half a dozen places. You can get relief help uh, at this deadline. I don't know if you need to try to shoot the moon with Edwin Diaz, but, you know, if if they accept Tristan Cassis or, you know, maybe some bench level big leaguers, then. You know, go for it. One of the common themes of this deadline, as it seems like we talk about at every deadline, is the top contenders could all use an extra bullpen arm or two. Uh, the Red Sox fit that bill. The Dodgers fit that bill. The Twins, even the Yankees, uh, depending on what happens with their starting pitching search. So I think the relief pitching market is where a lot of this action is going to take place. Because, right, even beyond Diaz, you have pitchers like Ken Giles from the Blue Jays, Shane Green from the Tigers, maybe Kirby H from the Padres, so they'll 
his asking price is probably going yeah, to be I don't a lot think too. That, I, I don't think anybody's going to. I think Yates is the best relief pitcher who has been rumored, but I just think the Padres are like, you'd need to absolutely blow them away with a, an offer. I think you get more value elsewhere. Yeah, so if you think Yates is really expensive, Felipe Vazquez from the Pirates will be really expensive because he has such a an owner-friendly contract over the next few years. You really only have a couple elite relievers, so it'll be interesting to see how the top teams try to box each other out uh, because there are a lot of good like B-plus relievers, but only a few A's, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you mentioned... The Twins in passing, they're a team I'm really interested in because they, you know, they went out and they really put Cleveland on the canvas uh, in the first month or two of this season. And now Cleveland's coming back They're, You know, they've taken Cleveland's best counterpunch. And now the time has come to you know, really settle this. And I, I think they're going to need reinforcements. You know, I don't know. You know, they were a team that was that was uh, in on Stroman. um you know, I'm curious to see where else they might look for for pitching help because you know Odorizzi, as well as he's pitched, uh, Jose Barrios um, has you know taken that capital A ace level step uh, this season. But you, you know, there are one of every team essentially except for the Yankees, like really needs another uh, starting pitcher. So you know, I'm I'm interested to see where they might look for help. They did just trade for Sergio Romo over the weekend. But their whole bullpen's been in flux. They have designated Blake Parker for assignment, and Blake Parker was their closer for much of the season. So it's never a good thing when your closer doesn't just lose his job, but uh, no, actually loses his job entirely. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and I think that just underscores the difficulty the Twins have had. They're still in decent position because I think they have the easiest schedule in baseball the rest of the way. Playing in the AL Central helps, but I'm with you. I think. Their lineup is set and solid, so it's really up to what pitching advantages they can take over the, the remaining three days. Yeah, I don't want to impugn Voorhees Township, New Jersey's own Devin Smeltzer uh, by saying that the Twins don't have enough pitching depth. Uh, but, you know, I don't I would love to see him start game one of the World Series. But, you know, I, I'm not sure Twins fans want to want to see that quite as much. The Yankees are another team keeping with the American League theme of Uh, contenders that need pitching uh, because the Yankees, I have a stat here that I think illustrates their starting pitching position. Here's the Yankees starting pitching ERA by month in April. Their starting pitchers accumulated a 3.50 ERA in May 4.07. And then in June 5.75 in July 6.32. You're not going to advance very far in the playoffs with a ERA around six from your starting pitchers no matter how good your bullpen is. I think the last week for the Yankees has perhaps forced Brian Cashman's hand a bit to try and add a starting pitcher. The question is where, because Marcus Stroman's gone. As you'll talk about with Ben in a bit, it's unclear whether a team like the Giants will sell Madison Bumgarner if Cleveland sells Trevor Bauer. That doesn't leave many options, especially because the Mets probably won't trade Noah Syndergaard to the Yankees, and he would be the biggest difference maker possible. Do the Yankees go after someone like Robbie Ray or Mike Miner? Maybe, but if they can't get either of those two arms, then they might actually be stuck adding more to the bullpen, which is already great. Already might be adding Dylan Batances. Already might be adding Luis Severino if Severino, who probably won't return from injury until September, can't get stretched out in time to become a starter come the playoffs. So the Yankees really might just add another bullpen arm or two and 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 end up entering the playoffs with like nine elite relievers. 
to be totally honest, that's exactly what I've wanted them to do for every uh, every postseason since like 2016. I've wanted them to go all in and just go like one through nine, at, you know, one inning at a time every uh, uh, every inning of the postseason because you can lean on those top end relievers so much more with the rest days. Um, and, you know, they've always had like Tanaka and Paxton, like you can use those guys for for a couple innings at a time and maybe go with a three man rotation if you really wanted to get creative. And this is like it's one of the one of the disappointing things about the Yankees, like being a smart franchise, a quote unquote smart franchise is like you can't like that would look Mickey Mouse if the Yankees did it. And I wonder if there's still some of that resistance, whereas if you transplanted this exact same roster to, I don't know. Kansas City or or Tampa, like there were I, I think that there would be a lot more freedom to get creative instead of just going out and get a getting a new starting pitcher. Um yeah, which but like you said, I think I said the the Yankees needed starting pitching. Obviously I misspoke. I meant the the Dodgers um don't need starting pitching. Cause you know I still like I still feel good about guys like Tanaka and Paxton um going into the playoffs. Um, you know, Severino, I think if he comes back at all, will probably be like a multi-inning reliever type. Um, and maybe you just write off this season because, yeah, I don't think he's going to get stretched out in time. Um, but that does leave them looking for help. They could always go, you know, go trade for Lance Lynn again. Lance Lynn is incidentally one of the best pitchers who is probably too good to be traded at this point. Uh, another team that interests me uh, is the Cardinals, who would love Lance Lynn back, but he's probably a bit too expensive for what they're willing to offer. The Cardinals are interesting to me in so much as they've been hot recently. They're now, uh, I think, tied with the Cubs for the lead in the NL Central. But their roster is one that's kind of just average throughout. They don't have any glaring holes that could be easily fixed. Uh, So that kind of makes it tougher. They're also interesting because they have a surplus of outfielders. And the Padres fit this description, too. They have a surplus of outfielders, so it's possible. It's unlikely, but it's. I think it's possible that you see, like, two contenders make a trade to try and... I love those trades. Yeah, I love those trades, too. And just basically, I have a weakness where you have a strength, and I have a strength where you have a weakness. You could see that with a team that needs outfield help uh, because the Cardinals have extra outfielders, but they need more pitching. I think they've said, in particular, they want a lefty reliever. So a team like the Giants, maybe, if they don't want to sell completely, they could trade like Tony Watson to the Cardinals and get an outfielder back, I think is a conceivable outcome that could work for both sides. I like that a lot. I, you know, I do think there is some hesitance. Like, I, you know, you roll your eyes at the Mets saying they won't trade Syndergaard to the Yankees because they don't want to be seen as losing that trade. Um, you know, I think that there is too much risk aversion in uh in baseball right now, you know, and this is sort of weird to say as much as teams are are sort of blowing up the traditional pitching model right now and, you know, blow, blowing up the defense mo- or defensive models. But like that's a herd mentality nowadays. Like there's there's just not enough. And maybe there's just not enough difference between the quality of like the scouting and development staffs where you don't see big high profile trades where like I think I can you know, I can win this negotiation or even like, I think I know something about you, your players that you don't, um, you see that at like the minor league level. Uh, but it's, you know, you don't, you don't see the, the Will Smith for Harrison Bader in a prospect trade or whatever. Um, you know, cause this, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be seen as helping out your competition. 
I don't know if that's fully true, maybe around the deadline, but like Garrett Cole is an example of that. I, even at the deadline last year, like the Chris Archer trade, Tampa fleeced Pittsburgh there. Uh, so I don't know if that's. But all, that wasn't a contender to contender trade. Oh, that you're was talking the, only about contenders. Yeah, to, like okay. they, they win trade, you know, uh, when teams win or lose trades, it's not like a challenge trade. You know, we keep going back to the the Pineda for um, uh, Jesus Montero trade or the the Segura uh, Mitch Haniger for what was it? Taiwan Walker and Cattell Marte turned out uh, to tra- be pretty great for both sides. Yeah. As you know, <laughs> like the, the two winners from those two trades just happen to be in the same trade. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, but what, what you're describing is like that. Both of those were definitely fleecings, but it was because one team was taking advantage of another team's position or like, the Padres or the Padres, the Pirates uh, completely overvaluing team control and maybe not being that good at developing pitchers at this point in time. Um, I don't want to say that too loud, but I have noticed, the, you know, so many people have noticed this um, before we we get done with the buyers. I do. And, you know, we're probably not going to touch on what the A's might do or the Rays or or, you know, the Phil, God knows the Phillies need help, um, but we've talked about certainly, certainly we've talked about the Phillies a lot. I do want to talk about the Giants because of the interesting position they're in. Like they have, so they're in pretty much the same spot as the Arizona Diamondbacks, where they have enough exciting pitchers to like really do some damage in terms of of selling and rebuilding the farm system, um, and they could really dictate the market. Both teams could, and they have very similar records. I've, don't know if they're exactly tied at this moment. Uh, so the Giants are one game up on the Diamondbacks, but how they got there seems to matter because uh, the Giants have said as recently as um, heading into the weekend, I think that uh, they were considering buying and didn't want to sell, whereas the Diamondbacks said, hey, we're open we're open for business. And so I'm interested to, to know what you think of, of those two approaches for teams that in absolute terms are, are in pretty similar positions. I understand the Diamondbacks' desire to sell. I understand their hesitance to just play for the wildcard game when that route is so congested. The Dodgers have the division already locked up. And the Diamondbacks, especially if other teams don't sell their pitchers, could sell into a seller's market. The question for the Giants, I think, is how much almost like the value of playing in a pennant race because the Diamondbacks had made the playoffs in 2017. They almost made the playoffs last year, but they probably don't have as much sustainability with their current group. The Giants, we know, don't have sustainability with their current group. So it's a question of, do you basically make one last run for it? And I lean toward yes. If I were in charge of the Giants, I would not trade Bumgarner and Will Smith because... Like, okay, so Madison Bumgarner is a rental. Uh, He's going to be a free agent after this season. It's not like he's bringing back Yohan Moncada. It's not like he's bringing back the top prospect. It'll probably be like maybe one guy in the top 100. Is that really going to be the difference for the franchise going forward? Probably not. Whereas you know you are going to have a chance this year, even if you don't make the playoffs, have a thrilling September. It's your manager's last year. And it's the last connection, basically, to the core that won the World Series. Maybe the Giants front office, which is new, doesn't have that connection. But I think for the fan base, it's been such a thrilling run. Like, why not give it one more chance? 
because you're going to be bleak for the next few seasons anyway, and making these trades now isn't going to help the long-term promise that much, I don't think. Yeah, I you know, and to what you said about the emotional attachment, like obviously that shouldn't be priority number one for a general manager who's trying to win, but even a new general manager has to be cognizant of that, particularly when that emotional connection is a guy like Madison Bumgarner. Um, you know, I think this is going to sound like kind of naive and old school, but I, I think he's earned the right to, to finish out this season. Uh, you know, with the giants instead of, instead of being moved if, if he doesn't want to. Um, but you know, if nothing else, fortune favors the brave, you know, like just go for it and see what happens. And I, you know, I think that maybe you view this as a missed opportunity, you know, the downside for that. I, I think some of these, these players could, bring back substantial returns, particularly if they do something like the White Sox did a couple years ago and package Watson and Dyson and maybe Smith together. Um, but yeah, it's not going to, it's not going to be the, the franchise sustaining, you know, overhaul that, uh, that, um, that you would need to justify punching out in this position. So, you know, I would like to see them go for it just because it's, you know, baseball's more fun when when more teams are going for it. And honestly, baseball's fun when we have an inexplicable contender like the Giants in the thick of it uh, in August and September. So, you know, who knows? Like, it might as well be them as anybody. You said emotional connection shouldn't be the first priority, but I think entertainment honestly should be. If you take the long view of, what baseball is for its fans. It's a game of entertainment. And this is an entertaining team for Giants fans. Beyond that, so I was trying to think of like what kind of prospect return they could get for someone like like Bumgarner. Probably the best rental pitcher traded in recent years was Hugh Darvish mm-hmm. when he went from Texas to the Dodgers. The Rangers got Willie Calhoun back. Now, forget that Willie Calhoun hasn't done much in his major league career to this point is the prospect equivalent of in 2019 of Willie Calhoun really going to help the Giants that much going forward versus enjoying the last few months of Bumgarner weighing it from an entertainment perspective. I don't think it's even close. Yeah. I mean, well, part of the reason why I'm so in on them uh, either uh, holding pat or, or buying is I don't think they'd get Willie Calhoun. I think if, I think if you get, you can get Willie Calhoun for Bumgarner or like that kind of, Back end of the top 100, like maybe this guy is a you know future number two hitter and left fielder. Um, then we can talk. But I, you know, just looking at the what the market's like for Stroman, um, I'm I don't know, I don't know if that's what they get back. You know, I think the the Darvish trade trade return was better than the Stroman trade return, and Darvish then was a better pitcher than Bumgarner now. So you know, that's to that I think that speaks to what you were saying is you know, this this crop of um, of uh, uh, free agents to be or pitchers that the the Giants could sell aren't going to bring back you know that franchise revitalizing return. I, you know, I don't know. I it's it's just tough to move on from you know completely from a, a team that was that successful and that important. Uh, so there's not really in in one respect, like there's not really a wrong answer. Yeah, you know, if they could get out, they could get out ahead of uh, of this rebuild and try to you know really maximize uh, what they get back in prospects, or they could just let you know let it ride out. I, I I'm really not sure which way the math points, and all things being equal, you know, you might as well just take this one shot at it. It is funny how at this point 
the smallest of margins can make a difference. Like the Giants won two out of three against San Diego over the weekend, and they won two out of three against the Cubs before that. If they go two and four in those games instead of four and two, it could be entirely different. Mm-hmm. But it, it's close enough in the race now that those differences might actually be meaningful. Yeah, we're in a weird spot right now where it feels like every National League game is of titanic importance and none of them are. You know, like I'm checking the standings every day after the game is in and it's like three teams look entirely different after one more game, even though I know that's really not true. And if I were smart and looked at the playoff odds, I'd understand not much is changing. But then you see like, oh, my gosh, the Cardinals are in first place now. The whole standings look different. And then it and then it all changes back the next week. Mm hmm. But I think a lot of the the hesitance and the the slowness heading up to this deadline has to do with just, you know, it's tough to tell. It's tough to tell if the team's in or out. As recently as a week or two ago, like I thought the Reds had a had a shot at making the playoffs. You know, it's this is uh we have never done this before. Um which the is Giants to say are, the Giants are twenty six and ten in one run games. 11 and two in extra innings, man. That sounds like a Baltimore Orioles ALCS team to me. Doesn't it? Perfect. Give me the giants in the NLCS. Awesome. All right. Uh, so we're going to talk again on Wednesday, right after the trade deadline, we're going to do the three man pod. I don't know if you've heard Ben's voice since, uh, I guess like, you know, you've heard him on podcast, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you've spoken directly to him since the off season. Um, but we're going to have all three of us on together and, uh, I look forward to that until then. Support for today's show comes from Sonos. Sonos meticulously designs every speaker from the inside out. Their experts in acoustics and engineering even work with Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists to ensure an immersive listening experience. Getting started is easy. Just plug your speaker in and open the app and connect all your favorite streaming services. Start with one and connect with more over Wi-Fi whenever you're ready. All Sonos speakers and components work together so you can customize your sound system. You can also connect your TV or turntable to listen to everything you love. Now, one thing I love about Sonos is it's just easy. It used to be I need if I wanted to turn off the TV and listen to music, I'd need to get my TV remote, mute the TV, find my speaker, connect the Bluetooth to my phone, and now I can just do this all from the Sonos app. Control the volume, control what I'm listening to. Uh, it's all just so incredibly easy and simple. If that sounds good to you, go to Sonos.com to learn more. All right, so we've talked about the buyers. Now it's time to talk about the sellers. And the man who wanted to talk about the sellers is Ben Lindbergh. Ben. Hi. Yeah, I don't know what that says about me, (laughs) that I was more interested in the teams that are disassembling themselves than assembling themselves. But here we are. I mean, I think on one level, this is the easy segment because <laughs> like we know basically which which players are going to be traded. We don't necessarily know to whom like, you know, Zach and I didn't really talk about the A's. We didn't talk about the Nationals or the Braves. And, you know, who knows? One of those teams could end up with Matt Boyd or Shane Green or Ken Giles. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, one thing that we did talk about was the teams that straddle this divide, you know, the Mets mm-hmm. and the Giants in particular. Um, I'm interested what you think about. You know, just briefly, because we did talk about this a lot, the the Stroman trade and like what you think that sets up. Yeah, it's sort of a fascinating one, as many Mets moves are. I mean, on the one hand, you could look at the prospective New York Mets 
2020 rotation right now and start to dream about what if they didn't do anything else? What if they just went into next season with DeGrom and Syndergaard and Stroman and Wheeler and Mats? I mean, you should be able to win with that rotation. Of course, it's the Mets, so they'd probably find some way not to. But because they got Stroman for not a big return, you could see how they might convince themselves that, okay, well, maybe we'll actually be good next year. Let's let's ride this out. I think part of the strategy maybe was that they figured they'd kind of corner the market on starters and they'd have three of the most appealing pitchers on the trade market right now. If they just had Stroman, they blocked other teams that might have been interested in acquiring Stroman. And then they also have Syndergaard and Wheeler to dangle. On the other hand, they really didn't give up much for Stroman, which in a sense makes their position weaker in a way because now that precedent is established. Okay, this is what it costs to get Marcus Stroman, a couple of prospects and no, you know, top 10 type guys league wide. So then does that diminish your return for Syndergaard or for Wheeler if you want to deal one of those guys? So it's a very confusing situation because if they do end up trading Syndergaard, then it's like Stroman's kind of a slightly older and under less team control and arguably less good version of Syndergaard. So What's the thought process there? It's hard to untangle. Yeah. I mean, that point about, yeah, I expected the first pitcher to go. And I I don't know why, but I just always assumed it would be Stroman. Um, I expected the first pitcher to go to sort of set the market for the rest of these starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. And the market is set far below yeah. what I would have expected. So, like, I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if this is an aberration, if, like, maybe the... The Blue Jays are just super high on Simeon Wood, uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, um, or something like that. Or if there's something about Stroman that maybe is not as attractive compared to somebody like Matt Boyd or Robbie Ray, um, or Zach Greinke or Cinderard. So like maybe like they do shoot the moon and and get the. Uh, the Eric Bedard trade return for Cindergard mm-hmm. and just sort of keep on trucking and everything's fine. Uh, but I'm I. Don't really know what's going on. And like I that the and the fact that the the market is sort of set that low, uh, it's just really interesting to me heading into into the last couple of days, because like starting pitching and not just like there is no I don't know, there is no Justin Verlander in at out of this crop. Mm-hmm. There is no prime Cole Hamels, there is no U Darvish, there's no number one that you can really go out and get except for, you know. It, I guess maybe Zach Ranky's that guy, um, and his his situation yeah. with it, you know, with so much money re- remaining on the contract, you know, I don't know. I think if you eat the contract, you can get him for not that much in prospects, which seems like a pretty good deal for a big market team with money to burn and starting pitching holes. You know, there's one in New York, there's another in Philadelphia, for instance. Um, that seems like something I would be interested in, but I don't know if maybe like. Mike Miner or, or or Boyd gets pulled off the market altogether. Yeah, it was already a strange market on the seller side just because it wasn't clear who was a seller. It's still not in some cases, although it's maybe become a little bit clear in the past couple of weeks since we last discussed that. But you already have few teams, I think, that are in that category of clear seller but also have appealing players left over because some of the clear sellers have really already stripped down their rosters. And so they don't have a whole lot left at this point. 
So not only do you have that, where you have fewer teams that are in that category than you do in a typical year, but now you have a team as mercurial and unpredictable as the Mets kind of controlling the market to a certain extent right now. That is a, a very unpredictable position for the market as a whole to be in. And and it's odd, I think, for the first big domino like Stroman to be dealt as late as he was. I mean, for that to happen the Sunday before the deadline we're really just getting things started very late here, which I don't know whether that means that we won't ever really ramp up and this deadline will be kind of a dud or whether it means that a ton of activity will be compressed within these couple of days here. But it wasn't like this move was made weeks before the deadline and maybe they didn't know what was out there and, and what they'd be able to command. I mean, the Blue Jays with only a couple of days left before the deadline felt like this was the best they were going to get, evidently, which suggests that even though there are a lot of potential buyers for Marcus Stroman out there, they must not have thought the offer was going to be overwhelming anywhere else. Yeah. My, I mean, my assumption the whole time has been, there's just going to be a flurry. And I said this to, uh, to Mal over the weekend when we were talking about uh, what we we're going to do in terms of deadline coverage. Like I just assumed that there would be almost nothing before about three fifteen on Wednesday. Sure. <laughs> and then just everybody just not knowing what to do, not knowing what the market is, not knowing, like how all in they have to go when there's no post, you know, there's no post waiver trade deadline uh, to to contend with. Uh, you know, it's I just assumed everybody would just wait for somebody else to make the first move. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now that the Mets have broken the seal with Stroman, maybe things will get get really get started. Although it's been oh close to 18 hours since the trade and, and we haven't really seen any uh, any uh, substantial further action. Um yeah, I, I just assume all this is coming right down to the deadline and we're just going to be working all night on Wednesday, uh, which which I've prepared myself yeah. for. Uh, you know, this is this is the best the best and worst uh, week of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. And yeah, I, I, I expected the Sturman trade to really bring a lot of clarity to who might be on the move. And now I feel like I know less than I did yesterday. Yeah, if anything, it muttered the waters more where now we really don't know what's going on. So it's kind of fun to be in this position of not knowing what the heck is happening here because A, we've got the unified trade deadline and B, we've got this weird standings this season where not that many teams are out of it. And now we have very little activity leading up to this point and we're just a couple of days left until the deadline. So I don't know whether Syndergaard or Wheeler gets dealt. I there assume was Wheeler gets Wheeler. dealt. Like, I would think that one of those guys will be going, and, and Wheeler is the more obvious candidate. I mean, I know there had been some talk of an extension for him, but I think probably it's more likely that he gets dealt somewhere. I mean, the, the difference in name brand value between Syndergaard and Wheeler is pretty big, but the difference in actual performance lately is not really. So I, I think probably some team would be just as happy to get Wheeler and and he'd probably command a little less. Yeah, I you know, there there is like the performance has been uh has been similar, but I do think that yeah, certainly it's worth paying the premium for Syndergaard, particularly if the well, I don't know. I was going to say particularly if the premium isn't as big as as uh, you would think, but if that were the the case, the Mets probably aren't going to trade him. Um so anyway, let's stop talking <laughs> about the Mets. Let's so I said in in my column that went up today that the Diamondbacks are the team that can really control everything. Who they decide to trade, yeah. when and in what combination cuz they could package uh they have two starters and I think it's many as three or four 
high quality relievers who could be on the move, a couple outfielders. Um, they could, you know, they are Walmart, you know, at this, at this point and who they decide to send these guys to how many of them and in what combinations, like that's going to dictate the entire course of the, of the trade deadline season for me. I'm curious if there's another team that you've really got your eye on. Well, uh, we had thought that team was going to be the Giants coming into this <laughs> this period, but because of what they've been doing lately and all the winning, they seem to have taken themselves out of that picture a little bit. And now the Diamondbacks have replaced them. And I know there was a report from John Morosi that they are focusing on selling and they're a, a game back of the Giants right now, but potentially a, a better team, I think, than San Francisco and, you know, I think their playoff odds reflect that they're slightly higher than the Giants, even though they are behind them in the standings right now. But they do have a lot of attractive players, whether it's Granky, who's, you know, probably the best starter on the market, but also complicated to trade for because of the contract. But then you've got Robbie Ray and you've got a, a bunch of bullpen guys, Bradley and Chafin and Holland, although I guess Holland just lost his closer job, which is not great for his trade value potentially. But They've already made some moves to improve their farm system, and they're clearly in that mode where they're sort of restocking, and this would help a lot, I think, if they decide to move some of those guys. And they're a long shot, even if they're slightly less long shots than the Giants. They're definitely long shots, and I could see the rationale there. The Giants, I mean, they were the team that I was thinking that about, that they were Walmart, that they were the team that kind of had the the most appealing commodities headed into this market. And now it's just a little bit harder to imagine them making all the moves that we thought they would definitely make. I mean, a month ago, I figured Bumgarner would be on the move. I figured Will Smith would be on the move. Dyson, there are other guys on that roster who it might make sense to move. And I just don't know. Farhan Zaidi must be in the, the most agonizing position right now because I think he came into this season and this summer intending to make those moves. And then now that's maybe been taken out of his hands a little bit, but it's not clear whether that's true or not, whether he's received any ownership directive to say, hey, we're hot. Fans are into this. This has been a lot of fun. Let's not throw a wet blanket on all of this by dealing our guys, even if it might make sense in the long run. So if they were to decide just in these last couple of days that, yeah, we're sticking to what our original plan was and we're flooding the market with all these guys, then I think they become the most interesting team. But it's I just don't know which of those NL West teams will be the one that will actually decide to be aggressive here. Yeah, I was just telling Zach, I, I actually take kind of an opposite optimistic view of Zaidi's position. Because, you know, either he sells and does like the quote unquote smart thing and trades out of, a, you know, sort of a long shot position to make the playoffs, I think is a fair way to put it. Um, and then, you know, gets to work on the farm system, but also like what those guys might bring back is not so great that that it's really a missed opportunity. Like if he just says, you know what, screw it, let's go for it. Let's try to, you know, and I'm not saying like he goes and sells the farm for for Granky or Syndergaard or whatever. Um, if you could even get one of those guys with what, uh, uh, with what the giants have on their farm. Um, I'm not going to go on a tangent about Joey Bart. Uh, <laughs> so what I was saying, like whether you go for it and decide not to be the guy who traded Noah or who traded Madison Bumgarner while your team was in the wild card race. Like, I think that's there's, there's, it's really a no lose position for him. And, you know, I, I, 
I would like to think that some team would give up something substantial for Smith or Bumgarner, but maybe that's not the case. And and if you know, if not, then then uh, deciding to just sort of hold the position until the winner, uh, yeah, that makes a fair amount of sense. Yeah, you're not losing that much. And do you then just sit on your hands, or or do you say if you're not going to trade? Well, that's the question. If you're right? not going to trade, guys, then do you say, well, we're actually going to try to make this roster better. We're really going for it. Or do you just say, well, we'll just kind of let things fall as they may, and I'm not going to actually rob our farm system to fund what is likely to be not a successful quest to make the playoffs this year. But I don't know. How does that look? Then do you get criticized for not adding to this team? Because if you're not I selling... I don't think anybody expects them to to go all in. I think everybody knows that this is a hot streak and it's a difference between, well, let's ride the hot streak and let's, you know, sort of take a, a colder view of it. And you know, I, you know, I was a big fan of what Neil Huntington used to do uh, at the beginning of this decade, which was whenever the Pirates were inexplicably in the in the pennant race, he would just go, you know, trade his seventeenth best prospect for Derek Lee or whatever, you know, to mm-hmm. you know add a little bit of depth and and keep everybody invested and you know signal to the players, you know, I appreciate the work you've done. Here's some reinforcements. You know, I, I think that there's some value to that, and the cost to doing that is not very great. Mm-hmm. I think particularly, you know, they, they're they not in a position where they need to go out and get somebody like a Granky to improve the team. You know, they can just get another competent starting pitcher. You know, you can find those guys for for relatively little. We saw, you know, what the, the Red Sox gave up for for Andrew Kashner wasn't that that great. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the, the kind of deal I would be making, making if I were in his position. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Edwin Diaz as a possible trade chip. We talked about him in the first. (laughs) Okay, it's okay. All right. We've covered all the Mets, just making sure. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, in the past few weeks, I mean, we're talking about these teams on the bubble that can at least talk themselves into being contenders, the Giants and the Diamondbacks and maybe the Mets. But I think there are a few teams in the next tier down that were within striking distance when we talked about the deadline a a couple weeks ago, but have since sort of fallen out of it. I mean, you've got the Padres who were going through a sort of a rough stretch lately. You've got the Reds who continue to play well in a sense. I mean, they still have, I think, a plus 28 run differential right now, but they've really kind of fallen out of it. They're seven games back in the wild card. It's just not going to happen for them. And then you've got the Pirates who are 10 games back now in the wild card race. You've got the Rangers who I think are six and a half games back in the wild card race. So there are all these teams that are, I think they were all in that group of, well, they could kind of see themselves as contenders potentially. And so they're in a tough spot because these seems like teams that maybe between the July deadline and what would have been the August deadline, things kind of get clarified for them. Well, I think they have kind of gotten clarified. So those teams should probably be firmly in the the sellers camp. So, you know, whether that means that Mike Miner will be going somewhere that seems likely, or at least it seems like it would make sense right now for Texas to think about moving him. And, you know, with the Reds, you've got Puig and with the Padres, you've got Kirby Yates and the Pirates have Vasquez. There's, you know, at least at least one uh, attractive player on each of those teams that I think is now very much in play. And uh, until recently, it wasn't clear whether they would be in a position to move on from those guys. Yeah. And the Padres are a team that like you could defend. I don't know if you could de- defend like a rental, but like going, getting a guy who is maybe signed through 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're a team that like needs to shuffle around some 
from a positional standpoint because they've just got so many corner guys they can't play them all particularly yeah. if like the the two big free agents that they brought in are Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer like you know there's no place for Jason Vossler like there's not as much of a place as there should be for uh for Franmil Reyes for instance so, you know Hunter mm-hmm. Renfro I think is like I think he's improved enough this year offensively and defensively that maybe he's a guy you build around now um but he's been in trade trade rumors all season long. Um, so, you know, I don't I'm not saying they need to go get more prospects or they need to consolidate their prospects into a, uh, you know, a, an above average to plus major league starter at some position. Uh, but I think they should do something, you know, they yeah. and they've got enough diversity of, of assets um, as much as I hate using that word uh, to. I don't know that they necessarily even have to, like, go and do one thing like they can. They could trade one of their corner guys and hang on to Kirby Yates, for instance, or you know, mm-hmm. or you know, do, do any one of a number of uh, of things. And I think that they've got enough avenues open to them, um, but they need, to, you know, they do need to start making decisions. Yeah, they've got oh, <laughs> they've got so much young talent at so many positions that they have a lot of guys who've just sort of been pushed out and displaced by this youth movement that would be appealing to other teams. I mean, even if it's someone like Margot, for instance, mm-hmm. who's, you know, there's no real spot for him there and he's sort of stagnated, but other teams I think would be interested in being a landing spot for him and seeing if he could kind of get back on track. So someone like that might make sense. It's not like huge blockbusters, but I think- no, just, yeah, just a yeah. little bit, you know, even the, sl- the slow motion toward Pareto optimality. Right. That's, yes. Uh, yeah. What I'm after. Right. Yeah. They've got so much talent that they just kind of need to shape it into a, a roster. And, you know, maybe they get a little bit better in certain areas as they do that. But they have a lot to offer and other teams, not so much, but but there's someone appealing like, you know, who wouldn't want Puig? I think Puig since like early June has been hitting as well as he ever has. His power seems to be back. So I think he's someone that people would be interested in, you know, as a rental, of course. But still, that's that's something. Teams want that power. I tell you what. Oh, <laughs> I just thought about a Puig to the Giants trade because I was thinking of like, you know, in terms of star power and and uh, like intangibles and stuff like that. He's somebody who might not cost a lot, but a team that's that is more about um sending the message that we're trying to compete mm-hmm. uh could, he could be attractive to them and we were just talking about the giants being that and now <laughs> i'm gonna need a minute <laughs> yeah i've not heard any rumors to to this effect and this is almost certainly not going to happen but i just imagined it and whew, okay i need to take a cold shower um so i want to go a little bit farther down the st- well I want to go a lot farther down the standings <laughs> and uh, talk about the Detroit Tigers a little bit because they're a team that has not gotten a lot of love from this podcast or indeed from uh, from uh, the objective evaluation of baseball because yeah. they're super bad. Uh, but they do have <laughs> three guys who I think could move at the at the deadline. Uh, Matt Boyd, we've talked about Shane Green, their closer, mm-hmm. uh, is one of the biggest names on the market, and Nick Castellanos, uh, the corner outfielder. Um, who certainly seems like if he's not tired of being in Detroit, he's tired of playing in Comerica Park mm-hmm. uh, as a power hitter uh, who loses. He, he certainly seems to think seems to think he loses a lot of home runs uh, to that ballpark, um, which is tough, you know, particularly on on right handed power hitters. He seems like he's eager for a cha- uh, change of scenery. Um, I'm interested to to see what they do because I think that. 
they've got options too. And, uh, you know, Cassianos is a free agent after this season. Um, Matt Boyd is signed for a few more years. Shane Green's under team control for one more year. So they don't have to move these guys now. Uh, if there's if the right deal doesn't present itself, but now seems like as good a time as any. Yeah, I would think so, too. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Shane Green is having a really fantastic season. Certainly, if you look at the ERA, it's very impressive. He's perhaps not. I knew you were going to do good, this. Knew you were going to do this. He's still having an I agree with you, season. but yeah, I mean, he's he's good. He's an appealing alternative, I think, to I don't know if the, the who's the best. I mean, if. Vasquez is too pricey for you, or if the Mets are offering asking too much for Edwin Diaz, which they probably are. Giles is my guy. Is yeah, my, Giles, is the, Giles the reliever been, I would pursue. Oh man, yeah, Giles has been as good as he's ever been. He's striking out fifteen per nine or something. So Green's sort of maybe the budget alternative to him, but you know, doesn't quite have the track record. I mean, last year he was not as effective, but it's not the first time he's been good. And I don't see why the Tigers would need to hold on to him. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's under team control for one more year. It's not like he's going to be part of the next good Tigers team. So sure. Why, why wouldn't they want to get something for him? I would expect him to move. And I think, you know, the Tigers probably have held on too long to some guys in the past. I mean, maybe Michael Fulmer, you look at and you think, well, if they had gotten something for him before he got hurt and had the elbow thing and was really appealing and attractive and they didn't. Yeah, but he's I I mean, he's under team control through 2022. So mm -hmm. he's got time to come back and rediscover the magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think that makes a lot of sense. I think Castellanos, who's still only 27, that makes a lot of sense for someone. He, of course, has been a big defensive liability in the past and still is to a certain extent. If you look at the defensive metrics, he's a little less horrible than he's been in the past. Maybe that reflects some real improvement. But yes, I I think that makes sense to me to, to move those guys. So I would expect the Tigers to be somewhat busy, although, you know, there's there's only so much that they have to offer because they're in such a, a woeful position right now that they really are only a few guys who would turn contenders heads. Yeah. Every time I talk to Shocker about baseball, it's uh, it's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so. Let's move on to one other team I want to touch on is a team that is uh, at the other end of the division from the Detroit Tigers, the Cleveland Indians, yes. who specifically Trevor Bauer. And we've talked about, you know, God knows Zach and I talked about this once every two or three weeks early in the season, the way they've chosen to build or unbuild their team mm-hmm. um, has been confounding. Uh, I don't know, you know. Certainly there are no on-field reasons for a team in, in this position in the standings to to uh to trade Bauer, even though they seem intent on doing so, mm-hmm. uh, like at least wait for the off season. If you're going to do that. Um, I just don't know what they think they're going to get is my thing. No, it's hard to know. I mean, it's easy to to go back and wonder why they weren't more active over the winter. And if you just put Michael Brantley on this roster right now, it's probably a first place team. Just that move alone, because Cleveland's just two games back in Minnesota right now. They're obviously up in the wildcard race. And so trading Bauer, it's just even though Bauer has been inconsistent this season and and a step down from his effectiveness last year. I just don't know what you trade Bauer for right now that actually makes you better. And I know they have pitchers coming back, and so maybe they can 
steal from the rotation if they were able to upgrade in the outfield or, or somewhere else. But I don't know. Is there a one-to-one move out there where you trade Bauer and you get some slugging outfielder who makes you better right away? I, I don't know that there's that kind of move out there. Like hey, a, if there is, if, you know, if that's is, certainly sure. defensible. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but I don't know. You could go get someone like Clint Frazier, bring him back or something, I'm sure, for, for Bauer. But I don't know if you get like a, an all-star type outfielder back right away who helps you this year because that's what they need. And I don't know whether his most recent blow up makes this any more likely. Like I doubt that really turns yeah. teams off I mean, because it was, they know what power is. And ugly. Yeah. But like, yeah, everybody in baseball sort of knows. Yeah. This, this wasn't you know. really out of character, out of character for him. And you could even, yeah, he's never done literally this before, <laughs> right? but yeah. it's, you know, it's and not you, shocking. Yeah. And it, you could even talk yourself into, oh, he's a competitor and he was mad that he wasn't winning and things were going against him. And so he lost his temper. I don't think it makes anyone less likely to acquire him. I wouldn't him. talk myself into that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it makes... I'm, I'm sort of in the Terry Francona, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, camp, well, but... so maybe it makes Cleveland more likely to part ways with him. Like, I don't know how that was received in the clubhouse. He was pretty contrite afterward and apologized, but, uh, you know, there are probably plenty of people in that clubhouse who have already made up their minds about what they think about Trevor Bauer. But if that was the last straw for people and now it's an even more uncomfortable situation, maybe that pushes it over the edge where you do make a deal that you were kind of on the fence about. I don't know, but I just hope Mike Freeman's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think it's probably unlikely that he moves. We've been hearing the rumors now going back to last winter and it seemed at times like he would be moved then and he wasn't. And now I, I just don't know, given where Cleveland is like where they were a couple months ago, where we thought that everything was falling apart and they'd had so many injuries and so much underperformance that maybe they would just pull the plug on this thing. Then it might've made sense to trade for power, but now you've got guys coming back from injury. You've got Jose Ramirez hitting again, You've got things looking much brighter, and I just don't know how you subtract from this roster right now in any significant way. So, Well, very little of what they've done has made sense to me mm-hmm. over the past two years. This comes after, like, they really shot the moon. Like, they made a bunch of risky decisions for years and years and years, and it seems like all of them paid off. Like, maybe even up to and including the Brad Hand deal. Um, and since then, you know, it's just like, I don't know if that's sustainable with even average luck mm-hmm. and or, or average insight. If you know, if you think that your scouting and player development are so much better, like that, even those advantages, if they are more real than luck, they disappear over time just as just as much. So, you know, I the a potential Bauer trade is up there with the potential center guard trade as like the most interesting, not just because of the players involved, but because the situation surrounding them is so unusual. That it's hard to to really, you know, wrap your mind around. I think, you know, I think moves like that are exciting. We, you know, I, I it's good to see that there is still such a thing as an inexplicable trade if if one of those things uh, does come to fruition. So that's I mean, that's what I'll be looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sort of running long. Do you have anybody else you want to get to? Well, there are some guys on teams that are truly out of it that we haven't really talked about who would be pretty appealing to contenders. I mean, there are guys like Whit Merrifield, for instance, on the Royals who signed that extension and is having a really good year. Mm. And is Trevor Bauer knows him well. Yeah, very affordable. So 
there's someone like that. I mean, I, I think that maybe there are some guys on those teams that, you know, Trey Mancini, for instance, on on the Orioles, who's kind of maybe the only appealing player left on that roster other than, you know, Michael Givens. I guess there's always a reliever lying around. But yeah, I think there's some that I think Givens is an intriguing guy. I, I think that like his his results have been strange enough. And I, I think he's another guy I wrote about uh, like in one of those big capsule pieces that um, you could talk yourself into the numbers being or into him being better than the numbers. Uh, and he could be another guy who benefits from a change of situation because he's been, you know, pitching for <laughs> to to, you know, pitching for a team that, that has been pretty noisily non-competitive for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mancini's sort of like a slightly better Nick Castellanos, maybe. There are a lot of similarities between those two guys, but he'd be pretty appealing because of the offensive year he's having. So there are some teams that we haven't talked about much because they're way out of it or because they've already done a lot of their selling or trading or just losing talent over the past couple of years. But they do still have some bobbles left, I think, that would be quite attractive to teams. So there may be teams like that that are just so far out of it that we don't even talk about them that much because they're not kind of on that bubble like a lot of these other teams we've been discussing. But they do have at least, say, one guy left who could be really attractive. I mean, Whit Merrifield's probably one of the very best players on the trade market this year. So if he were to move, that'd be pretty significant. If he moves, I could get to play the fight song on the podcast during the playoffs again, like I did when Jackie Bradley and Steve Pierce went nuts for the Red Sox (laughs) last year. Mm -hmm. All right. So whatever happens, we will cover it. I will have my winners and losers big omnibus piece up shortly after the deadline. We'll have another podcast on Wednesday. Ben and Zach and Claire and the rest of the baseball crew will be talking about uh, covering, writing about whatever happens as it happens. So I... I'm embracing the uncertainty. How about you? Yeah. No, this is fun. Get some sleep so that we can have a a sleepless Wednesday. Yeah. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water for the next three days. Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right. So uh, drink more water and we'll we'll talk to you on, on Wednesday. Yeah. Talk to you soon. That'll do it for this edition of the Ringer MLB Show. Thanks, as always, to Zach and Ben for joining me. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Marcus Stroman, Farhan Zaidi, and Zach Granke for giving us stuff to talk about. Thank you for listening. Everybody stay hydrated, and we'll see you again on Wednesday. Support for today's show comes from Sonos. Sonos meticulously designs every speaker from the inside out. Now, Sonos, if you just if you want superior sound and you don't feel ready to commit to an entire surround sound unit, you can build Sonos uh, one speaker at a time and control it all from your app. There's no multiple remotes. We already have too many remotes already, so you can change from music to audiobooks to podcasts to what you're watching on TV, all from your own phone on the Sonos app. It's incredibly simple. Go to Sonos.com to learn more.